This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I am Bear Whiter, the art director for Monty Cook Games, and I will be your guide along the path of suns. I bring with me two fellow travelers. Hello, I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And today we sing one spell. With transmissions from the Invisible Sun, we discuss information coming from Monty Cook Games about the game outside the regular design diaries. Today, we're honored to be talking to Bear Whiter, the art director of the Invisible Sun RPG and the art director at Monty Cook Games uh, as a whole. So welcome, Bear. We are super excited to have you here. It is, it is great to have you on with us. Thank you. Yeah, this is, this is really exciting. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that uh, things are fairly busy over, uh, well, you guys are pretty distributed, but things are pretty busy with MCG these days. To be honest, it's probably been crazy since uh, almost this time last year. So uh, we, I think there's been a few downtimes, but for the most part, it, uh, it has been kind of a nonstop craziness. Yeah, I suppose. How long have you been back in the States? I went to China in middle March, something like that. Um and uh, I can't remember exactly when, when I returned, but it was around like the 20th or 22nd or something like that. So it's been a while now. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about uh, who you are and what your involvement with Invisible Sun is. So let's, sure. let's start off with a little bit of background. Yeah. Uh, so what do you do with MCG and uh, going on? What's your design background like? So, uh, so my title is art director. What it means at different companies will, uh, or for different companies, it would mean different things. And so in some cases, it might mean that you're only handling art direction and handling the artists and getting all of the art to come in and all of that uh, organization and management. Uh, that's certainly one part of my job. I would say that probably takes up maybe a quarter of my time, maybe a third of my time, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, um, I do pretty much all of the graphic design and um, uh, a significant portion of the layout of the products. Um, I do have another that works with me in in the production department, uh, Zoe Smalley. She does a great job uh, helping me out with all kinds of different stuff. She also did some of the, uh, she did some of the work on Invisible Sun, some of the props and some of the layout. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's essentially my responsibility anyway to make sure that what we are putting out, uh, ultimately passes through me and my eyes and, and, um, and I'm making sure that what we are putting out is matching the vision of the designers, uh, Monty, Shauna, uh, Bruce and Sean. Um, and, uh, so I've been doing this for four years now at Monty Cook games and beforehand I have worked as a illustrator and animator and uh, graphic designer and probably a number of other, other roles for myself for about almost, uh, it was probably almost 18, 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, before then I worked at a few different places as a, uh, as a graphic designer of some sort. Uh, and then essentially all of this started from me getting a degree in, uh, I got a BFA in painting and, um, uh, ended up, uh, moving right into graphic design and the, the graphic side of, of, of things in, in art. Cool. Yeah. Uh, 
How about we talk about this uh, black cube that is currently in the process of shipping to all of the backers? Yeah, it's actually really exciting to see some uh, some people have already received it. Um, I know you. Yes. It sounds like you have not, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting to see people getting it. Uh, I should I should have mine shortly. Uh, Good. But my not all of my players know that. <laughs> So we have, uh, uh, I've been actually watching the uh, Discord um, with people starting to receive their black cubes and uh, starting to look for secrets and other kinds of stuff. It's all, it's all really exciting. I, you know, we've been, we've been waiting for this to be in people's hands for quite a while now. And mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's nice to see that, but yeah, so the, you know, the black cube, you know, originally when we started talking invisible sun, it was probably, boy, I started in 2014 and I think. I think we are already talking about the project internally in 2015 or maybe very early 16. Um, but uh, but this this wasn't something that was in the works prior to you showing up at MCG. No, I, this is something that I think has been sitting in the back of Monty's mind for quite a while. So you know, it's a, it's a passion project of his that he has been wanting to do. Um, and so I am, I'm certain that he and Shauna had kicked it around quite a bit, but no, it, it was something that, um, was, you know, we didn't really, nothing was really started on it besides, you know, him thinking about it until mm -hmm. probably sometime in about 2016. You, you did the work on the, the reliquary for Numenera, correct? Yep. Yep. Did that sort of set a template or a, a you know, show you the path towards something like the black cube, something that was this ambitious? A little bit. Yeah. So, you know, we, we ended up doing the, that box set, the reliquary, and it was, it was really cool to be able to see a, a box of this, uh, of something that's somewhat ambitious. It's a little different come to pass. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the idea of what I wanted to do with it. And then actually, in fact, the, some of that box design ended up coming from a box that uh, Charles Ryan, our COO mm -hmm. had found. And so we kind of adapted that thinking, but to be able to see what it was that we wanted to do with it and then to see it actually uh, come to pass, you know, it made me think that, you know, I, I really want to do something super special for Invisible Sun. When we were first talking about the project, Monty had described what, what it was and that it's, you know, it's, it's a role-playing game, but it does still have elements of a board game. It's going to have a board. It's going to have all these pieces. And so it's going to need to have a, it's going to have to be a box and we want some kind of special box. We had, I knew Monty had, had got a copy of uh, Kingdom Death Monster, oh. um, the, this big black box. And I had actually, re I had bought a copy of that myself. And it was uh, one of those where it's like, wow, we really like the look of this, uh, just kind of the, the feel and the experience. But, mm -hmm. but I knew for myself that I wanted something different and bigger and not something that felt quite like a board game, you know, where you just kind of lift off the top and there is all your pieces. And so I had ended up, I do a lot of 3D. I used to do a whole bunch of 3D and and now I, I kind of use the 3D for visualization and, and all mm -hmm. of that uh, within the company. But so I, I turned to 3D and started playing around with this thinking of, you know, how can we do a box that would open interestingly but would, you know, and also somehow kind of capture this sense of, of this game and these secrets and these layers. And, um, and so that's kind of where it ended up coming from. So I, you know, I designed this up, I did a little uh, quick animation of how it could open, um, shared it around and, and that was it. You know, I, 
uh, it was not a it was not a hard sell um, on uh, on anybody once they once they saw the animation of how it how it could work. And of course, it was always that within 3D, I could I could make it do anything I wanted to. Um, so of course, I had also had to when I was putting it together, make sure is this something that really could work. And so you know, there's there's always that little bit of anxiety. Did I did I bite off too much here? Is this going to be a problem? No, it it obviously worked out quite well. Is this the first RPG book with shelves? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I don't know. I um, I would be surprised if there's if, if there's too many more am, uh, ambitious projects than this. Um, just just from, purely from a a, a weight standpoint, um, I I think we probably have most games beat. Not necessarily counting every single book if you add it in, but you know the the black cube is almost thirty pounds. And there's there's no room to put anything more in there. It is it is full. You had to actually pack in the resin statue, and it sounded like there were some packing considerations that had to be put in for that because normally yeah. a statue like that requires way more packaging. Yeah, it it was one that certainly had the potential, and it was for a little while causing some um, some issues for us. Um, mm-hmm. We had. Originally, uh, we had the option of going with either uh, resin or plastic. We had told the backers when we did it, of course, we wanted to do a resin sculpture. But um, but there are times that during the process of once you've you know you've you've kind of built it and designed it, you realize you know maybe this component actually doesn't really work well in this in this medium after all. Mm-hmm. But for the resin, of course, it needs a significant amount of padding to to protect it. Resin is very fragile, so anybody who receives these things, make sure you handle the the testament of sons with care it can it can break our printer ended up coming back with a with the suggestion of putting it in this huge block of styrofoam and you're like oh no we can't do that that's 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 crazy i mean you know there's no room in the box and then that we talked well we maybe we could ship it uh separate from the box and it's like eh, we don't like that idea it's, it's just not the experience uh that we're really looking for at one point they had come back our printer had come back with a box um, that could accommodate a significant chunk of styrofoam to protect it. And the cube was probably 16 or 18 inches on all sides. And, you know, the, the current one is now sitting at 12 inches and that's, that's a big, big black cube. The, Mm -hmm. what they had sent us was just, was just massive. Um, So luckily we went through a number of these revisions and they worked with us and got a solution that we could live with. And I think it's quite well uh, protected from what we've seen. So uh, this is a product that is so physical and so much about this tactile experience. So if we had had to have had it as a exterior piece or something else, it just wouldn't have been right. So it's nice that everything is fitted in. Everything has its place that, and it just all works together. I'm so we're super happy with that. So it's this large tactile experience in it. And that seems to be, embodied with the Testament of Sons and with the cube itself. Do you have anything else in there that sort of reinforces that idea? So the black cube includes a number of other components. It has uh, a little uh, wooden cubes. It has a whole bunch of punch tokens that you you punch out. But on top of that, there are a number of other elements like props and uh, items for the GM, items for the players. And each one of these comes in their own envelopes. Um, uh, we designed the envelopes just to be able to specifically hold these items. And in each one of these, we were really careful about the material that we were using and the paper stock and everything else, just to make sure that it really was everything that we really wanted out of this. 
Yeah, the the paper stock of the invitation that we got for the first Gen Con event or at the first Gen Con event, uh, that was mm-hmm. interesting. It was like a very strange vellum like paper. Yeah, I I I can't actually Im- uh, remember what it looked like, but uh, it was a little um, bit ago. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a, that was probably 2016, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, nearly two years ago. It's it's, it's been a long journey. Scott, any of the uh, questions you want to pick off of the list to send us in? Well, it might be a good time to turn to questions about sort of the interior uh, art design of the game, which is also quite distinctive. Uh, I thought a fun place to start might be to talk about the design of the various sort of icons in the game. So the testament or the uh, path of suns, each of the mm-hmm. suns is represented by an icon. And I know there's secrets involved in the meaning of those. But I'm curious just about whether there was something different in the development of the visual look of Invisible Sun because of the uh, pro- how many of these kind of icons and uh, kind of almost ritual-like symbols uh, are present in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it was definitely a different process working with um, artists very early on. You know, for Numenera and The Strange, we both, both of those product lines, we had a lead designer or, sorry, a lead artist that we brought on uh, to help solidify the the look of the setting and the, of the people and all of that. Uh, in this case, we had a couple of early artists working on this. Samuel Araya was one of one of the one of our early artists, and we leaned heavily on him. He he does a lot of occult type imagery, mythos, and Lovecraftian inspired, and and a, a variety of things. And and so we leaned heavily on him for doing some of the symbology. And these uh, these icons and symbols, and um, one of the early pieces that we did have was the Path of Suns, and so he developed the the symbols for us. We really wanted to make sure that we were not drawing upon any existing occult thinking and e- existing symbols. You know, they could certainly have some influence, um, but this really needed to be our world, our occult, our our thing and not to suddenly have a symbol that say, you know, goes back to the uh, astrological signs. You know, everybody knows the, those kinds of symbols at this point, that's not what we wanted. We didn't want anything that looks like Elvish or, or whatever else this, this really needed to be invisible sun. So it, it took us a little while to kind of work, work through, through some of that, but it really helped to set up uh, the overall look and and feel. I think the, the logo, uh, we also had Sam do a number of passes uh, on the uh, on the logo type. I ended up finishing it off from there and, and kind of tweaking and embellishing. You know, he did some some early pieces like there's a face of what looks to be a woman. It's actually more of a I, I don't think it's actually either a male or female. Um, and um, it's but it's the face with with moths around the face and around the head and um, so some of those early pieces really kind of helped to influence what we were doing from that point on. Throughout the book, once you'll, I, we've probably have used a number of the design elements at this point, but we really wanted the the books themselves to be more open and airy. A lot of our books books already are, um, you know, Numenera or uh, Cipher System. Those books are what I would consider to be lighter weight in many ways than a lot of RPG books. You know, we don't use super heavy backgrounds 
and super heavy border treatments or, or, or whatever. We, we like to have a lot of space and a lot of, uh, a lot of white space with, with our books, but with Invisible Sun, I really wanted that here. And so, you know, I was looking at trying to add some interest through more of a 2D design, so through borders and, um, and other design elements like that. So we had some other artists that I worked with. Uh, Lee Smith was one who, who did actually a whole bunch of these border designs for us. And that also really helped influence the, the overall layout and how it was all going to be structured. Um, one of the first large sections of the uh, art that we've seen from Visible Sun is, of course, represented in the Sooth deck. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm curious first at, at your experience with using different artists for different suits and uh, kind of where that idea came from and how it uh, influenced either the, you know, the, the design and development of the game. You know, working with artists is, is interesting. You know, we're not big enough to, to be able to say hire an artist full time and have them only exclusively work with us. So when we're working with an artist, they, uh, they often have other clients that they're working with during that same time. And so uh, a little bit of that had some influence on what we were doing with, with the Sooth deck. Uh, early, early on, we had talked about possibly having a single artist do all of the Sooth deck art, but it's 60 pieces of card art. For the way we typically work with artists, it would be a, a significant time investment on their end to be able to commit to that. And it was not something that was going to be possible with, with the artists that we wanted to be involved with this. And so in that case, Monty was, was really interested in being able to have a Sooth card or sorry, a Sooth family per artist. And so, uh, you know, that meant we were going to have four artists working on it. That made it a lot easier for us to manage the timing of it all and who was getting which piece. And, you know, they, what I really like also is that each artist is is great in their own way, but quite a bit different in, in many ways in which they work too. And so I think for this feeling of the the Sooth deck and what it's meant to do, I, I, I like that, you know, you can flip the card and you can kind of get a sense that, oh, okay, this is, you can already kind of tell somewhat the family just by the style of the art that that artist has provided. Uh, and, and yet it's similar enough that it still seems part of the same deck right uh, yep yeah the same world it's, it's very i think that the balance between differentiating the families uh and yet having a coherent vision for the uh for the game is worked very well with the sooth deck sure that you know that's that's always one of those things that we certainly try for uh, it's not a heavy-handed thing um uh, i'm not the type of art director who who hires an artist who then says okay now you need to make art that looks like this other artist's art because we've been using them and now we want consistency. It's not so much that I think we get consistency based more upon what we are asking of them. So subject matter wise, occasionally showing them references of what we have already done. But, uh, you know, we certainly get a variety of art with say products like Numenera um, or this certainly with the strange just because of the, the, the nature of the strange, but often in the end, even though we may have 15 artists or whatever working in there, I, it, it does start feeling a little bit more cohesive because, again, they're all drawing from the same source of information. And I, I, I think the Invisible Sun and the Sooth deck in particular had even more of that benefit because uh, we had fewer artists already. Um, we already had some reference art to be working from, and we were kind of hiring artists that we did feel like would at least capture what we wanted 
to kind of fit together and all. So the suit deck you had different artists working for each of the families. Now, did mm-hmm. something like that carry over to the books themselves? I haven't seen the books yet, so I don't really know <laughs> what the art in there is going to be like. Right. Uh, n- not directly. I mean, uh, the same artists who worked, uh, who did the sooth deck art for us also did other pieces in, in the, in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, in the black cube, I think we have seven or eight artists off the top of my head. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a couple more, uh, quite a bit of a, quite a bit smaller set than say uh, you would find in the credit list of our other books or our other game lines. And the, we are, we have since then have actually produced some other, or have gone through the production of the next book in line, and 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 similarly, its its artist list is fairly small and tight, and so it's it's been a decision to to I'm not hitting up everybody like I can with other product lines. I'm I'm very choosy in who I want to be working on the Invisible Sun line, and a lot of that is um, you know I'm looking for artists who have a good understanding of surrealism and this kind of weird that we put into Invisible Sun versus the weird that we put into Numenera, and so it's it's a selective thing. But beyond that, there really isn't a there is no real other organization or a structure that we've put into the books mm-hmm. that would that would influence the art like that, like the Sooth deck. So that reminds me of uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on here was how do you go about communicating the surreal nature that you want to see in the art? And I'm thinking about this from uh, a GM's perspective. I'm going to be trying to describe to my players, you know, this surreal world. So is there any sort of advice you have for somebody who doesn't do that for a living? The books themselves somewhat cover that. Um, so you certainly aren't going to just be left on your own. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how to best describe it to your players. It's it's probably a better question for, say, like a Monty than for me. You know, in my mind, the art itself, we, uh, the Black Cube comes with an art book. So you right there, you're going to have some references. So you can certainly be showing showing some of this to your players. And then, of course, there's plenty of art throughout the rest of the books. As far as how we were able to dictate that to the artists that we were working with. Yep. That one mostly came from, uh, again, being selective in who we were bringing on in the first place. But then on top of that, we had a whole bunch of, of really good reference uh, material. Uh, Monty had been building a uh, probably a handful of Pinterest boards for, you know, certainly for a few years on uh, Invisible Sun. And so we just naturally used those as references for what we were looking for with the artists. Um, and sometimes, especially when we're dealing with a new product line, it takes maybe a little bit more working through sketches to understand what it is we're trying to do and work through some of those details. But having the having these reference things really helps to shortcut some of that. And we can say specifically, we are looking for this, not for that. You know, here, take a look at these sites, come back with questions. And that really helps to helps to direct what we need it to uh, what we need to get from them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't need to throw my players out and find, you know, people who understand what surrealism is. No, I, I don't think so. You know, the, uh, there are a number. So when you get the black cube, uh, you're going to get obviously, uh, books. Um, but we also have a whole bunch of handouts for both the players and the GM. And these handouts are for the most part, single sheet pages that go through, uh, various aspects. Um, and so for like the GM, uh, for themselves, they have, uh, some lists on things like, uh, uh, um, 
uh, NPC traits. So you have right there some shortcuts to be able to quickly grab this thing and create an NPC on the fly that's surreal and weird, but but fitting for this world because the notes are right here. Um, and the books themselves, again, help, help kind of step you through explaining and setting out all of this. So the players, I think, will... I think the players will fall right along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the tools are there. Scott, do you have any other questions you want to check in on? I, I have what may be a small question. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. So the decision is to, to make this, the, the books for the game square. I, I, it stands out <laughs> uh, in relation sure. to other RPG books. Um, I'm just curious both how that decision was made, but also what impact that had then on layout uh, and graphic yep. design for the books and how it kind of changed the frame of reference for uh coming from RPGs that are, that are relatively similarly laid out as uh, yep. uh, other pa- uh, non-square pages, rectangular pages. Right. It's definitely a challenge. Um, you know, uh, anytime you kind of change the format up from what you know, it's already one more step complicated for, for the design process, as well as the potential for the experience from the, from the end user. How it came to be, I'm, I think, think it was my suggestion to be coming up with the uh, with the square books. I, I try to be careful with taking credit for something because a lot of times these things are so collaborative in uh, in how they end up evolving. Um, I think it was my idea, but it, it may not have been. But it, it, it most likely certainly came out of the format of the the black cube itself. Once we'd settled on the book or sorry, the box size and shape of it, we had a very clear idea that the book's needed to follow along. And so, of course, right there, that meant square books. By that point, of course, we had already ordered some art. And so typically when we order art, it's it's fairly specific for the book size. We have some fairly standard sizes that we order for. And and so we had been following along with that size um, for some early art orders. And then, of course, now with the square book, that it changed it up with, as far as what we actually needed. It doesn't really complicate it too much on layout. It's just, you know, we have to get creative in cropping and, and, and some of that. But the square size also really allowed for doing some different things with the callouts that we hadn't done in other books. Uh, anybody who's familiar with our, with our other Cypher system-based books, we have a callout column in all of the books. It's always on the outside, on the outside of each spread of each page. And so it's it's there as a real as a quick reference for helping you to maybe find additional information or pointing you to to additional information. Invisible Sun uses callouts as well in a very similar way. Because they were square, we ended up laying them out to where all the callouts are actually happen in the middle of the page. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it would be weird, but I but it feels very natural. I think once you're opening opening up the book, there's a lot of white space. There's a lot of freedom with where the text is. It feels natural, but yet its own thing. And of course, there were some other challenges. But what I really liked is, is of course, being a new product line, we it allows us to really start from scratch. Uh, you know, when I started here, uh, Numenera had already been out for a year, uh, and the Strange had uh, had already essentially been designed and laid out by the time I started. So I essentially inherited a lot of style guides that we uh, we still have a lot of those elements in in play. They've been revamped a lot and changed up a lot. You know, I I like to tweak as we go along and improve where we can. But with Invisible Sun, it was the opportunity to do something new, completely new. We didn't have to worry about any prior existing product, and so there was a lot of freedom to be able to kind of come up with you know, what would really be the essence of this, of this game. 
um, what's really going to be something that we can do to capture Monty's vision here. And yeah, so we had a lot of we had a lot of fun going through the design process on this and and uh, and making it special. Yeah, Dave and I were talking right before we got started about how we both could really notice the difference in layout and graphic design and art direction after you joined the MCG team. And I think you're underappreciated for the the, the uh, influence you've had and. Uh, your, your voice does come out, if not through a lot of, of, uh, of the press junket sorts of uh, interviews, uh, but through the, the books themselves, they're, they're just gorgeous. And a lot of that is because of your hard work. So we appreciate that work and uh, enjoyed an opportunity to talk to you about it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, it's, you know, as I said earlier, I, um, you know, I'm not one to really try to take too much credit. You know, I'm, I'm often happy, happy working in the background and letting the designers be the face forward type people. Um, but, um, but, you know, it, it's certainly nice to hear, um, hear good things about the work that you do. And, you know, I, I do certainly put a lot of effort into what we are producing. Um, you know, I want to, I want it to be the best that we can possibly make it and to be its own thing, whatever product line it is that we're working on. And, you know, um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I have uh, Zoe to also help me with working on these things and, and the designers themselves have a lot of creative vision and what they're looking for. So it, it really helps. I think that we all work well as a team to produce the products that we do. Well, Bear, I think uh, we're going to wrap things up here. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we end the interview? You know, I, I don't think so. It's uh, As I said, I think at the start, it's, it's really exciting to see these things getting out into the wild. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to follow along on, on various platforms like uh, the Discord channel. And uh, uh, I'm on Facebook quite a bit, too much. Um, and so it, it's really fun to be able to see these people, uh, see everybody getting their product. You know, there's now a discussion on the secrets and, you know, and starting to puzzle some things out with the books and all of that is, is, is just, it's really fun to watch. And so there's, there's definitely more to come. We have some more products coming up, you know, coming out for Invisible Sun afterwards. But, uh, you know, right now we're focused on making sure everybody gets their, their black cube and, uh, and everybody's happy. If you yeah. have not ordered Invisible Sun yet, you can still pre-order it um, probably at the time of this uh, recording getting published on Friday. Uh, it should still be up there. Um, yep. Not sure when that's going to close down, but hey, it's out there right now. So check it out. Yep, absolutely. Well, Bear, thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us. We know it's been really busy for you, but uh, we really appreciate it. No, thank you. I appreciate it. This is great. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is currently available for pre-order at InvisibleSunRPG.com. For a limited time, you'll receive an additional sooth deck when you pre-order the game. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. Do us a favor. Leave us a rating uh, and a review on iTunes. Uh, it really helps people find out about our show. Another great way is to just uh, tell a friend. Uh, tell a friend about Incantations. Tell them about Invisible Sun. And that would really help us out a lot.